Hey, welcome back to another episode of State of the Art, the podcast that sits at the intersection of art and technology. I'm Gabe BC, your host. You can always find us at State of the Art on Twitter or Instagram, or send me an email at gabe at thestateoftheart.org. Let's start off with an email here. Uh, Allison K asks, do you have a favorite media artist? Uh, I do. I have lots of <laughs> artists that I love. I would probably say one of my favorites is Namjoon Pike. Uh, we've referenced his work on the podcast before in the past. Uh, but he makes video sculptures. They kind of take the form of robots sometimes or giant, you know, maps of America or giant flags, uh, but they're all composed of old TVs, like old tube TVs. And he has these animations on them that I think are really interesting. So Namju Pike is probably my favorite uh, or one of my favorites. Pippi Lottie Reese, Mikhail Rovner, I like a lot. Bill Viola, if you've ever seen Bill Viola's work. Uh, I saw a show of his when I was a kid and it kind of changed the way I looked at the world and art. Uh, but there's a lot of great media artists out there to investigate. If you want to learn more, you can always pick up a book like Michael Rush uh, wrote a book called Video Art. So Video Art by Michael Rush is a great book to learn about different uh, time-based media artists. You know, I'm kind of biased towards video because I'm a video artist myself. Actually, I'm doing a talk coming up. Uh, if you happen to be in New York on February 24th, at the Wix Playground. So if you want to hear about my work, um, come say hi. <laughs> I'll be there at 6.30 p.m. You can RSVP online. Just search for Gabe Barcia Colombo Wix Playground and you'll find me for sure. So um, this week, we have Dan Goods, who is the visual strategist for NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory as our guest. I'm super excited. Dan takes giant, complex concepts and makes them understandable through art. So we're going to get into you know how he has created installations from drilling a hole into a grain of sand <laughs> uh, to making giant sculptural installations in airports that you may have seen on your travels. So uh, let's get started here. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, great. Thanks for inviting me. So you, your projects often take these astronomical concepts uh, and make them understandable through art and storytelling. But if someone comes up to you on the street, what do you say that you do for a living? <laughs> Well, it's always hard. Um, uh, sometimes it's hard to describe. Sometimes I say I just have to show something. But ultimately, I'm uh, always trying to figure out like how to explain that. And, and I think uh, recently I've been using the phrase that I just want to move people. And, and sometimes, uh, sometimes you want to move them intellectually and sometimes you want to move them um, you know, from the heart. And, and hopefully you can have the opportunity to be able to do both. And so that's what's great about being involved in something like space. Like I was never like meant to be an astronaut when I, or wanted to be an astronaut when I was a kid, but I love big ideas and science is full of big ideas. And so, um, yeah, so just this idea of moving people and, and uh, uh, sometimes I'll pull out uh, a business card and it has a, a grain of sand on it, uh, except it's enlarged really big so you can see it. And um, the grain of sand represents the Milky Way galaxy. So we live in the Milky Way galaxy. Uh, there's hundreds of billions of stars within the Milky Way galaxy. Um, but I had the opportunity to find someone who could drill a hole into a grain of sand. <laughs> they had this really, really, really tiny drill bit. And so they didn't use a laser. It was actually a, a carbide drill bit. And uh, they made a hole that was a tenth of the size of the grain of sand. And so you see that on this on this card, and uh, that hole is where we live, but it's also the space in which we've looked, and at that time, this was like 10, uh, 12 years ago, that um, we'd, we'd already found like a thousand planets around other stars. 
And uh, now we've found three or four thousand, I think it's up to 4,000 planets around other stars. And our technology is not very good. Uh, we can see a little bit further than that little hole that uh, I had drilled in my grain of sand. Um, but um, we're going to find tens of thousands more planets within that hole, let alone the rest of the galaxy. And then if you want to show all the other galaxies that we know about, you need 60 rooms full of sand to show all the other galaxies that we know about. <laughs> and so that's usually pretty fun. You know, some people, it's funny to watch people react because some people will actually like have a physical reaction to where they're like, I can't take that, you know, like, don't show me that. <laughs> like it shatters their universe in some way. The idea of yeah, drilling a hole yeah, in a grain of sand. It was like too much for them to, it, you know, it's like all of a sudden they, they were ingested with a whole bunch of stuff that their body just couldn't take. And they were like, I can't deal with that. <laughs> and then other people are just like, you know, they're, they're, uh, they, some people want to know about the technology. Other people are like, I just can't believe there are that many planets out there. And, and, um, yeah, so it, it's fun. And so in that respect, you know, it moves people in, in one way or another. And, and um, you know, it's, it's hard to hard to move people these days. And, yeah, it's you know, true. We, we spend a lot of time on social media sort of like skimming stuff, <laughs> right, and and uh, liking something. But, um, yeah, it's hard hard to move people. Is that why this project is called Big Playground? So, in, like, sort of visualizing <laughs> the universe as a giant playground? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we're in a big, uh, to me, that's what it was like is like, we're in, we're in this big playground and, um, we're learning something all the time. Uh, every time that we think that we know something, we realize that we don't really know it that well. I mean, just the, uh, and, and I'm not a person that knows all this stuff super deeply. I'm, you know, I, 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 but I really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm always trying to figure out what the essence is of something. And, um, but there's something called dark matter and dark energy. And it turns out that 96% of the universe is one of these two things. And they call it dark basically because they don't understand it. Right. And so like all the galaxy, you know, everything that we can detect, everything that we, you know, think that we know is like 4% to the universe. And uh, <laughs> that just blows me away, and, and it makes me happy. It makes me happy that we don't know everything, because uh, I'm a big fan of the mysterious and the unknown, and and wanting to learn. Like it's yeah, but, that would be terrifying to some people, though. Just that there's it's sort yeah. of like swimming in a giant pool. You don't know what's at the bottom, you know? <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you, we, I, yeah, everyone, getting back everyone, to the screen of sand, like how. Yeah. Did you come up with the concept? Did you think about, oh, I'm thinking about the universe one day and you did some calculations <laughs> and then you're like, oh, a grain of sand, that's the way to do it. Or what comes yeah. first for you? Yeah, well, um, so I had this amazing opportunity where um, I I had studied graphic design and uh, somehow I got to, uh, got to meet uh, the director of the Jet Propulsion Lab. And uh, he sent me on to some people and, and they gave me an opportunity and they said, you know, just kind of look at the kinds of missions, the projects that we're going to do in the future, not the ones that we're doing now, but ones that uh, we're trying to have the opportunity to do in the future and just come up with some ways of communicating it. And um, they really gave me a lot of leeway. They just wanted to see, you know, don't do something that we've, we've all seen before. And so they were talking about uh, these missions that they wanted to put these big telescopes in space uh, to essentially try to find a planet like Earth around another star. 
And at that time, we hadn't found, you know, uh, humanity hadn't found that many stars, or sorry, uh, hadn't found that many planets, maybe uh, a couple hundred, few hundred planets. And they were all super gigantic planets. So if you think of Jupiter, Jupiter has that eye, sort of mm -hmm. big storm. Um, you can fit two, two Earths within, within that eye. And so Jupiter's gigantic, and the kinds of planets that we're finding were all, you know, at least the size of Jupiter, if not like five times bigger. And so, uh, but the, the reason was is that we just couldn't detect things that were smaller. And, and um, it, it's really hard to find those really, you know, smaller types of planets. And so the technology that we had at that moment was allowing us to see the really big things. And so um, I was skeptical, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, are we really going to find a planet like Earth? And then they would give me big numbers like, you know, there's hundreds of billions of stars and hundreds of billions of galaxies. And, and I was never a math person. Those things just kind of blow over me. Um, and so I was trying to basically take what they were telling me and, and, and communicate to myself. And so I thought, well, what could I do? You know, what, what could I show billions and billions of? And, and we're in, you know, LA, we're near the beach. And, and, um, also <laughs> I just had, we just had a, a, a child, uh, uh, recently. And so we spent a lot of time at the playground and so they would have all the grains of sand in, in the playground. And so I started to think, well, maybe what if, um, yeah, what if we had lots of sand and then, but then how would I show where we're at? And, you know, you could paint it or something like that, but wouldn't it be cool if you could drill a hole into the grain of sand and just turns out that they had um, a shop that had really tiny drill bits and they could do that. And so, um, turn, you know, it was sort of like an idea plus the technology that was around, uh, available that actually could help communicate that. And were there and multiple so, attempts at drilling a hole into this grain of sand? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, when you look at when you look at sand from our scale, it all kind of looks the same, right? You know, there's some that are a little bit bigger, some that are smaller, and that sort of thing. But if you get a microscope out and you look at them really close, they're vastly different worlds. You know, it's it's sort of like you know, one of them looks like you're in, um, you know. Uh, some giant mountain range and other ones look like you're in the swamps or something like that. And so I spent a lot of time with a photographer's loop with one eye closed looking at, you know, hundreds of grains of sand because I needed to find one uh, that was sort of oval shape. Uh, so it'd sort of feel like, or, or at least roundish, you know, roundish, ovalish, uh, that would sort of represent the galaxy. But it also couldn't have a lot of topography in it which turned out to be really hard. And then if you look at uh, playground sand, they're all different colors. And so some of them are like really transparent and some of them are dark and some are in between. Um, so anyways, I had to sort of like uh, look through hundreds of these pieces so I could find about 10. So then they could, you know, test it out because at that time we didn't even know if it would really work. And so, so you're literally searching for the perfect grain of sand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so People are like, what is Dan yeah. doing in there? He's lost his mind. Needle in a haystack. I was yeah. for <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out the scale of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you're like, OK, Dan, uh, I actually saw your work. I saw a project that you worked on called Visions of the Future at JPL. Um, yeah. which also made sort of the idea of possible futures and different worlds more accessible. Can you talk about that project, how you got involved in that piece? Yeah, so it was actually for the same people, 
or same, you know, uh, one of the, so early when I was first at JPL, I'd heard about trying to find planets around other stars and I was really fascinated by it. And, um, then a decade later, uh, the guy who I'd been working with for that had said, Hey, you know, there's a really well-known, uh, highly regarded scientist, um, who's going to be coming by, uh, and staying at JPL for a, uh, for a summer. And, um, uh, and, but our hallway is really ugly. Can you decorate it? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, let's, let's do something. And so, I uh, got some, uh, we, we had a whole bunch of ideas that really didn't work. And then, um, a couple of people on the team, uh, one of them saw it was a brand new building or at least within the last few years. And, um, they had these big acrylic things on the wall next to conference rooms and they were meant for posters next to a conference room, but nobody had ever used those containers before. So they were all just empty. And the guy said, well, why don't we make uh, Joby Harris? Uh, why don't we make, um, posters for these things? And, and the scientists were like, oh yes, great. You know, we could, we could show our, our spacecraft. Uh, but if you're in this world, you realize that most of the spacecraft are really, they don't have too much character to them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they're not, you can't remember them. And so, um, uh, David Delgado, uh, on the team, he came up with this idea of like, you know, why don't we give people a yearning to want to go to these places? And, and, uh, these travel posters from the thirties and forties are, are ones that, you know, we used to yearn to go to Egypt and Paris and, you know, those places were, um, incredibly far away and impossibly far away. If you were in the middle of the United States and the, you know, in the thirties, it just seemed like that would be really hard to get out there. And so, um, so we worked with a bunch of the scientists to come up with, um, uh, planets that were around other stars that were really fascinating. And then we, we really tried to figure out what is one thing about each one of these places that's really fascinating. And so one of them is called Kepler 16 B. And if you've seen, if you grew up with star Wars, um, there was a moment, uh, when you were on Tatooine and you saw, uh, a, a, a double sunset mm -hmm. and there really are planets out there that have, um, uh, binary stars. And, um, uh, so wouldn't that be wild to, to have two shadows all day long? You know, you wouldn't just have one, you'd have two. And, and so, uh, that became, um, uh, the planet with two stars where your shadow always has company. And so we tried to be kind of fun and, and, um, be like travel agents trying to get people to go to these places. And then, um, so we, we developed ideas and concepts and then, uh, Joby Harris, uh, illustrated them and, um, they just kind of sat in the, in the hallway and, <laughs> uh, because they weren't like approved to be out. Right. Um, and, and then some people started to, uh, you know, use social media with them and someone made some posters and took them to a conference. And then they really got out like uh, a bunch of the blogs and news sort of, uh, told people about it. And we got these phone calls saying, you shouldn't have done that. You know, that you're, this isn't approved. And then, and then, at about a week later, after all, all the news was positive, they're like, let's make more of these. Of course, that's how it always goes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love the way that they're so graphic uh, and entertaining, but they're also educational, right? Like yeah. there's, there's something specific about each planet that you're trying to represent in the posters. And we'll post some of these posters on our social media if we can. Uh, <laughs> to, yeah, we, we call that sneaking up on learning. 
Hmm. So it, it's uh, this, this idea of just creating something that's beautiful and, and draws you, uh, draws you in some way. And um, then when, once you're there, hopefully you're, you're curious and then you're in the right mindset for learning. And, and uh, we always like to have multiple levels, you know, hopefully it draws you in. And then once you're there, you know, there's something else if you start to dig further and dig further and dig further. And do you often get in trouble for doing these experiments? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I try really hard um, to do everything the right way. The problem is when there's so many rules, it's hard to know what all the right ways are. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think uh, I think what's great is that we uh, the Jet Propulsion Lab, uh, which is where I work, it's a very entrepreneurial kind of place. And um, they're always trying to do something new, something um, something that hasn't been done before. And that really resonates with me because that's what I want to do, too. You know, I want to do things that you haven't seen before or or at least done in a way that you haven't seen before. And um, so it's it's a great fit. So you have to ask for forgiveness. If the project is great, <laughs> that everybody's like, this is perfect. Uh, yeah. I want to talk about your sculpture at the San Jose International Airport called eCloud. Yeah. Um, you know, it's also kind of sneaking up on learning in a way too. Um, but it uses all these polycarbonate tiles to create the impression of a cloud. Um, can you describe how this piece looks and how it was to put, put it together? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this was, uh, with a team. So Nick Hoffermoss and Aaron Koblen were, um, uh, we were on, on the team and what was funny is that none of us had ever done a public art project before. Uh, but a friend of mine who wins public art things all the time, he was like, you guys should, you should submit. And I was like, oh, nobody will ever pick me. But somehow they picked us. And um, uh, it's at the San Jose airport. And so San Jose is the center of Silicon Valley. So we knew that um, if we were to, we were, we were asked to do a hanging sculpture. And so we knew that it had to somehow relate to technology in some way. But it's hard to do something with technology that doesn't feel old, you know, like, two years later. <laughs> I know that's something I face all the time, especially with public work, right? Someone's going to yeah, walk through there and exactly. be like, this is from the eighties, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it has to last, you know, they're like, it has to last for 10 years. And we're like, Oh man, if you use a new screen, like it's out of date six months later by the time you actually put it up. And so, so we're trying to look for something that was uh, dealt with technology. And then also just the act of flying is, I love that moment when you, look at the clouds when you break that, you know, barrier right above the clouds. And, and so we, we wanted to somehow create a cloud and, uh, this liquid crystal material sort of, uh, uh, came to our attention. And so what we have are thousands of pieces of liquid crystal and liquid crystal is naturally sort of, um, it's, it's like 80% opaque. It's somewhat translucent, but if you add electricity to it, it becomes transparent so you can see right through it and so that would basically become a way to turn all these uh, thousands of pieces of liquid crystal on and off and so it's about 110 feet long and maybe 25 feet wide or so and so we're hanging all these in in a grid that feels like a giant cloud and is this uh, the material that's often used sort of like in offices when they want to have a privacy room like you yes can, yes to turn yeah. on and off yes but it's actually what's on every one of your like computer screens. Hmm. Like it's all that's liquid crystal. If you were to tear your screen apart, 
on the back would be a piece of liquid crystal, um, or at least a, a, a huge grids of uh, liquid crystal. But um, yeah, so so um, we worked with uh, electrical engineer and um, architecture people and um, software people to develop the system to where we could turn all these things on and off uh, however we wanted to. And we, we wanted to sort of bring in the rest of the world. And so what we do is every 20 seconds, we listen to the weather of a different city around the world. And whatever weather is happening in that city is reflected in our, our cloud. So if it's raining somewhere, um, it'll look like it's raining in the cloud. If it's windy, you know, it'll probably be moving left to right or whichever direction the wind is actually blowing in that particular city. How many cities are being monitored uh, for the cloud structure? Yeah, so we we um, we have like 150 that are in a queue. And then what we do is we take the top 20 most interesting things that are happening at that moment and we randomize them uh, on um, on a display that's there underneath the sculpture and then every 20 seconds, it just switches to a different one. Hmm. I mean, what are these interesting things? Like, how do you judge what's an interesting yeah, event? Yeah, well, I think, I think what, uh, what we want to do is, is have um, a marked change between one, one, uh, one city and the next. And so it really doesn't have to be that, like, you can have Los Angeles, which never has any weather. And so it just kind of sits there, right? <laughs> um, and then the next one might be rain, next one might be snow, next one might be wind, and then you would sort of cycle through that sort of, uh, we just want differences. I think that's, that's, uh, that's what it is. And on the website, you describe it sort of as an idealized cloud. But I'm curious, what is yeah. an ideal <laughs> cloud? How do you make that distinction? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, just from a distance, you would go, that's a cloud. I see. You, know? uh, <laughs> you recognize versus, it. Like, you know, uh, versus, you know, maybe that's a that's a rectangle. You know? <laughs> how, how important is it for audiences to recognize the scientific connection in your sculptures and your work in general? I mean, obviously, they're super beautiful pieces and they have conceptual background for them. But obviously, not everybody might make that connection from seeing it at first. Yeah, well... Um, specifically the science of it, you know, I guess, um, I guess I just hope that even like for myself, I'm not, again, I'm not the most learned person in the world. I don't understand all this stuff super deeply, but I just want people to appreciate the universe that they live in and, um, whether or not they know, you know, deep science when they come away from something that I've worked on, you know, isn't that important to me as, as, as much as that they have an appreciation, a fascination, a deeper understanding of the world that they live in, uh, just something that takes them out of, you know, your everyday life. And, and, uh, I think we all just, it's really easy to just kind of go through your everyday and, uh, but they're just like, mind-boggling things that are happening all around you <laughs> and it's it's easy to forget that yeah so. definitely yeah i think you know while walking through this airport somebody might just see this thing and say like oh my god what is this and then do some investigation on it through the terminal because you have a screen that explains some yep, of the background yep. too right yeah 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 unfortunately and this is the thing with public art right is that um they made us put the screen at the very beginning instead of in the middle of it 
um, because there was some restaurant going in or something like that. <laughs> oh, no. And uh, so what happens, you know, you're at an airport. Airports are a hard place to do artwork because people aren't there to sit and look at your artwork. <laughs> they're there to, like, get to their terminal, and they're usually grumpy. And so um, uh, people, unfortunately, a lot of people actually walk past the screen, um, and and then they don't know what it is, right? And so I've met a lot of people who are like, oh, wow, that thing's really cool. And then once they found out that it was about clouds, they're like, oh, man, you know, it's, it's so much cooler. I wish I could have seen the screen. And I'm like, yes, I wish they would have let us put it, you know, where you could have seen it. So it's uh, you never know exactly what's going to happen. Were there other issues with installing this piece once you had it sort of ide- ideated? Um, oh, man. The physical installation give you trouble? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so liquid crystal is sort of a funky thing and and. Uh, I don't, again, I'm not an electrician, but there's a difference between like a, a square um, uh, phase and a curved phase in electricity. And if you have the square one, then it's really bad for these things. And if you have the curved one, then it's good for it. And, um, uh, and so what happened was that we had to fabricate all this stuff down in, in the LA area, but all the liquid crystal had to have uh, like this covering on it. So you couldn't actually completely see it uh, because we didn't want to bang it up. So it comes with, you know, like when you get a, uh, a screen, like a TV screen, there's like that plastic on it. Yeah, right. That well, I love to peel this, off. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then it's like uh, staticky and it gets all over. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but this had like kind of dark blue uh, stuff on it. And so we never actually got to see the real full thing ever until it was installed and um when we put it up they said well you know if it lasts for 10 days then it should last you know forever uh but if it starts to mess up then it's probably gonna die and (laughs) always uh, reassuring to hear that we're like oh no and what was crazy is like there were like a few of them all died right at the very beginning and I thought, oh, no, it's just going to go through all 110 feet and they're all just going to die, you know, right away. And and uh, so we were all freaked out for a little while. And fortunately, that didn't happen. And and it, and it <laughs> worked out. But we were um, we were kind of petrified there for a little while. But it's still up now. It's running like today. Yeah, it's still up now. And uh, the only thing. Uh, in the however many years, I, I don't know how many years it's been, but it's been a number of years. Um, the only thing that's happened is that one fan went out on the computer, so the computer shut off. Um, so all they had to do is buy, you know, another little computer fan. And then the maintenance people smash into the screen every so uh, often. Oh, no. <laughs> and so they've, they've had... Uh, fix the the screen because it it actually looks like a giant um uh iphone but it was before the it was it was right before the iphone came out and so people think that it's a touch screen but we'd never you know we didn't even know what touch screens were right right so (laughs) So, everybody's going to touch it and it's not responding but you know i think it's really someone trying to wax the floors and they move the thing and go smack you know it kind of gets out of the way it's always those things that you can't plan for when doing a public artwork right in an airport so let's talk about i want to talk about um another work that you were involved with called orbit um orbit for those of you who haven't seen it is sort of this giant installation that looks like a metal seashell 
Um, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on inside of Orbit? Yeah, yeah. And I just need to, maybe, I just want to make sure I, I make a distinction between um, the eCloud. The eCloud was something that was done on, it was uh, done on my own time. It has nothing to do with NASA. Um, um, and then Orbit is actually something I, I did uh, as a, as a JPL employee. And so, so yes, so you walk into this giant seashell and um, you hear a bunch of sounds and um, it turns out that if you stand in the center, um, wherever you hear a sound and you can, we, we have this sort of surround sound on steroids in there. It's called the ambisonic sound system where there's 26 speakers. And so we can place the sound anywhere in the room. Hmm. And um, if you were to hear a sound to your left and you were to point to it hundreds, you know, uh, miles away from you, that's the exact location of a satellite that NASA has that studies the earth. And so NASA has 19 different satellites that study the oceans and the atmosphere and earthquakes and different things like that. And uh, they're all moving around us all day long. And so all day long, you hear the exact location of where all these things are. And what, what does it sound like? Yeah, so we worked with a composer, uh, Shane Mirbeck, and he came up with uh, different sounds. Uh, so we sort of compartmentalized them between things that study the atmosphere, things that study the, um, the oceans, and things that study the land. And so things that study the atmosphere sound a little bit more like wind. Things that study the ocean sound more like water. And things that um, study the earth uh, sound a little bit more like instruments. Hmm. And then there's the uh, International Space Station, and that's actually sort of a choir singing. And uh, that's sort of a, a beautiful moment when you, it's really cool at night if you ever get to see the space station flying overhead. Like, I really never even took notice of that until, like, 10 years ago. <laughs> and I was like, no way I can see the space station flying by overhead. And, um, it was really awesome. Cause one night at dusk, I actually could see the space station flying by and the sound, you know, the voices came from that spot. And that was so cool because I was like, Shane isn't uh, faking us out. This is actually real. It's really working. <laughs> what are people's reactions to this piece when they step inside of it? I mean, do they are they just blown away by the the sound in general? Or do they make that connection as well with the uh, space elements? Yeah. Well, what's really cool is that it's at a really giant uh, garden. So it's called the Huntington Gardens, and a really beautiful place. And um, so you see this giant seashell and you and you can hear sounds uh, from a distance and you walk inside and um, it sounds very, um, you know, it sounds natural. It sounds uh, it sound it doesn't um, like a lot of data sort of sculpture types of things feel very frenetic. Right. Right. And, very electronic. Uh, yeah. Very electronic. And, and this doesn't this. Um, this uh, sort of feels like you're in a Amazon forest or something like that. And it's, it's cool because people go in there and they, um, a lot of them just close their eyes. Like some like people who work there will take breaks inside of there. <laughs> it's sort of like a little um, uh, respite, you know, a little, uh, it, even though they're in this gigantic gardens, they're super beautiful. And that's where I would go to, uh, relax and meditate. Um, some people go in, inside of that and, 
And uh, then there's other people who are like, I don't know what those sounds are. I'm, you know, I'm leaving. You know, yeah. <laughs> so you, you have that whole range of, of people, but it's been really, it, it, it was only meant to be there for three months. And it's been, uh, I think it's going on its fourth year now. And so uh, it's become part of um, the institution there. And, and it seems like people really enjoy being there. And, and that was something that we, we really wanted to, uh, this was again, something uh, that uh, David Delgado and I sort of worked on the concepts. And uh, we had a, there's a architect named Jason Kalmoski and he, uh, came up with the idea of a seashell and um, we wanted to create a place that you just connected with that with what's around you I'm noticing and, a lot of uh, beach themes in the work that yeah. you do like the idea of picking up a seashell and yeah. hearing the ocean you know <laughs> yeah um, I don't know why because I don't really spend time at the ocean uh, even though I mean in Pasadena it is only like an hour or so away but it just feels like it's forever away, so we don't really go. But there's a couple different themes. Like um, I tend to use transparency uh, or a couple, you know, different types of things like that in my projects. And I I don't know why. It just sort of seems to happen. I don't think about it. I don't go. Oh, I want to use that. Um, somehow it just comes out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really beautiful structure. Just the idea of like stepping into a seashell and it instantly oh, yeah. reduces our scale. Or our perception yeah. of scale, right? Yeah, yeah. And the um, the outside has a really cool pattern on it. And uh, Jason Klamaski came up with this idea because um, Shane Mirbeck, the he he was the composer as well as the engineer for all the speakers. Um, he said, "Well, the 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 space that you're in has to be fifty percent transparent." And um, uh, the architect, you know, is trying to build a space and, and he's like, well, could it be 48%? No, it has to be 50%, you know, had to be some percentage. And so, um, he ended up making this pattern one so that it would be transparent in some way. Uh, but also the, he, he came up with this awesome idea of like, when you look at a, uh, at a, a long exposure of the North star, you know, and the North star is, is a dot and then everything else spins around it. Uh, that's what that pattern sort of reflects is the spinning of the stars and just super beautiful. I love that when you have, you know, a, a form and function that are also just super, you know, beautiful. It feels like there's a bunch of Easter eggs in your work. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. you take this one concept and abstract it and there's so much going on and so much to investigate if you just spend time, you know, thinking about it a little bit more. Yeah, it's it's just much more fun that way. Yeah, I think so too. Tell me about High Juno. Um, I'm not sure I I entirely understand High Juno, <laughs> <laughs> but how did what is this idea? Yeah. And how did it emerge? Yeah, so there was um, a spacecraft called Juno, and right now it's at Jupiter, which is really cool. So if you've been looking at any of the amazing images of Jupiter, it's come from this spacecraft called Juno. But um, one of the things about launching or trying to get to Jupiter is right now at this moment in time, we don't have a rocket that's big enough to just go straight to Jupiter. Uh, we actually have to do what's called a gravity assist, which means that you use the gravity of another planet to slingshot you. And so in our case, we went out towards Mars and then came back towards the earth and we'd get really, really close to the earth. Uh, if you get too close to the earth, you smash into it and that's bad. And if you don't get close enough, then you don't get 
the tug of earth and you just kind of keep going, um, but in the wrong direction. But if you get in the right spot, you can use this gravity, the tug of Jupiter or of, of the earth that will slingshot you out of, uh, you know, out to where you're trying to get to. And in, in that particular case, we're trying to get to Jupiter. And um, so we knew that the spacecraft was going to go away and then come back. And we thought, you know, is there some way in which we can connect to people? And one of the people that is on the um, science team has this instrument that picks up various kinds of uh, um, electromagnetic, you know, waves. And it turns out that so like all, you know, like our, our TVs, our radios, uh, our microwaves, they all everything is a wave. And this picked up a big spectrum of those things from the things that, um, you know, that we can see, like visible light, to the things that we can't see, like infrared light. And uh, it just so happens that ham, he was a ham radio operator. And he's like, hey, you know, we could pick up, if we got like thousands of ham radio operators to all, and just remembering what ham radio operators are, they they use they, they do Morse code, right? Mm-hmm. And so they press this button and it goes beep 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 beep. And um, if we could get them all in sync around the world, maybe there would be enough transmission to go up to space for our spacecraft to pick it up. And it turns out that it, it's actually even harder than that because um, for ham radio operators to work, uh, what they do is they they bounce their signal off of the ionosphere. I don't exactly know what that means, but you know, <laughs> they bounce it off of the atmosphere. And so for this to work, we actually have to hope that there's a moment when there isn't very much ionosphere up there. <laughs> and so just, and, just all of them doing it in sync would amplify it enough to be yeah. read in, in space. Yeah. So it's sort of like if I started to sing and someone else started to sing and someone else started to sing and, you know, we're all singing together, then then perhaps someone far away could hear us all sing. But if I was just doing it by myself, we were all kind of doing it randomly, you wouldn't get enough signal. And so, you know, ham radio operators, they do that really fast. And we're like, there's no way in the world we're going to be able to get, you know, let, let alone two or three people on sync, let alone, you know, all these other people. And so we came up with an idea that, well, each dit would take 30 seconds so if I wasn't exactly, uh, you know, doing it at the same time as you, or I had to go to the bathroom or, you know, my thing didn't work, that I could still press it and hold it down for 30 seconds. And then I would lift up for 30 seconds. And we were trying to think about, well, what, what would we say if we we're going to talk to the spacecraft? And, um, and then also what wouldn't take forever to say. Right. <laughs> so it turns out that high would take like, um, I'm, I'm forgetting the exact numbers, but it basically took like 10 minutes to say hi uh, <laughs> at, at 30 seconds for a dit and then 30, or, uh, 30 seconds for uh, a blank. And, and so, so what we did is we made this website and it basically, um, you know, had every, everything in sync so that everyone could be looking at the website and they would say, okay, press down, okay, lift up, press down, lift up. And, uh, and then the weird thing was, was that um, the government shut down right as we were about to do this thing. And at that time, uh, it was illegal for us to go on social media, 
to add anything to a website like it, like you were it was illegal to do that and we're like oh man but fortunately the the people who made the website made it uh did a timer on it so it would auto start when it was supposed to start so that was really cool and that whole ham radio uh world you know they're they're a pretty close-knit community around the world and so they were all excited for it and so um how many people were involved in the end so that's the thing is we we don't know because uh, you know they we they would have to all tell us but but there there was I I can't remember exactly how many but a bunch of them uh, I guess it's a big deal when you communicate to someone else uh, doing ham radio things you ask for a card and they they will send you a card saying oh yeah you you communicated with this person in Italy or this person in wherever and so it's sort of like little postcards and so i can't remember exactly how many there were but you know somewhere in the thousand or thousand, you know somewhere in that range but we we also don't know how many other people that didn't know that they could get a card you know uh, so there could be a, you know a few thousand or something like that and so so then the spacecraft flies by and unfortunately, there was some like problems with the spacecraft, so it took us a while to to get data back. And then they had to go like try to find this weak, weak little signal in the midst of you know all the other uh, data that they were getting. And uh, but it was really amazing the moment that they they were able to single out just that band of of uh, frequency, and then you know, really turn up the, the gain on it all. And, and, uh, then we were able to hear it. And so we, we repeated it like eight times cause we knew that not everyone would start at the same time. Not everyone would end at the same time. And, you know, maybe some dionosphere would come back together and <laughs> block it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up getting like two or three full signals and, um, a few, you know, half signals, but, it was, um, I know it sounds really weird. Like I try to talk about it, but you have to watch the, the video about it. My, my friend did a documentary on it and, and it's really moving. It's moving to see all these people, um, excited to do something together, uh, that was a positive, uh, you know, it was a positive thing. And I think all these people, if you watch that, listen to their interviews, they, they felt like they were part of something special. Yeah, it's kind of beautiful. The idea that this message is sent only by everybody working together. Um, yes. Has that been has that been tried to send other forms of communication into space, like this technique specifically? Um, not with ham radio uh, things, but I mean, just just the fact of you know playing uh, like when when uh, a radio like if you're if there's a radio station or a TV station and they're sending, you know, radiation out, that stuff is going out, you know, to space. And there's actually a really cool website. I think it's called, uh, something, oh man, this is where I'm awful, uh, on the spot here. So, um, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it yeah, out. If you see, we can put it in the something, description. Something you... FM, <laughs> something <laughs> FM and Lightyear FM. Huh, I think it's okay. called Lightyear FM. And it's super cool because, um, what they do is they have like a, uh, you can move out into space and you can listen to whatever happens to be at that distance away from us. So let's say, so uh, light travels, light travels at the speed of light, right? Which is really, really fast. And so something that's traveling at the speed of light, um, that left in when radio first happened is going to be like whatever it is, 80, 
light years away from here. You know, I can't remember when radio first started, but uh, let's just say it's 100 years ago. So it would be 100 light years from now. And so you kind of move out into space 100 light years away, and whoever happens to be out there would start to listen to humanity, you know, from that point in time. Right. And then you kind of scroll back and forth and listen to the 80s and 70s and stuff like that. So like time-traveling radio. In a yeah, way. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so cool. <laughs> that is super cool. Um, before we finish, uh, we usually have a, a tradition on State of the Art of doing rapid-fire questions at the end here that <laughs> no, aren't really related okay. to your work, um, just sort of questions that let us know more about you as a person. Uh, so just tell me like the first thing that pops into your mind here. Um, if you could travel through time, uh, speaking of traveling through time on a radio, where would you go and why? Um, I want to, I want to see dinosaurs. (laughs) Why do you want to see dinosaurs? (laughs) Just cause, well, I want to see how off we are, you know, like we, we all think that we know what a dinosaur looks like, but you know, do we really know what dinosaurs look like? And, uh, just to see such giant um creatures from the past i think that would be that would that would that would, that would uh make my little you know six-year-old dan really happy yeah it was a revelation to me when i found out that dinosaurs had feathers or some of them had feathers yeah that really yeah. blew my mind <laughs> um what is your favorite science fiction movie um uh it's called the day the earth stood still oh yeah i love that movie and uh, not the remake. Yeah, the, yeah, the, <laughs> the, the one from the fifties or yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember watching that, and I was just like, I was, I was just, I, I, I was, I stood still. I suppose you know, uh, <laughs> it actually I really worked. Did. Like I would, yeah, I was just like, oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite karaoke song? So I've actually never done karaoke. Oh, come on, Dan. <laughs> I yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Next fun, time I'm in LA, we're going to go do yeah, karaoke. Yeah, somehow I've gotten out of that. So, uh, <laughs> do you have a particular also, song I'm, that you like uh, that always comes on the radio you have to get into? So here's the thing is that na- I'm not good at remembering nouns or numbers. And so I can't remember the name of like any song or hardly the words, you know. So I, I'll hum to things, but... Uh, um, but it would probably be something from, uh, if it was karaoke, it'd be like guns and roses or, you know, <laughs> sure. something like that. So, I'm into yeah. guns and roses too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you think, I mean, is this, do you believe that there's life in other planets? Let's see. Uh, you cut out, uh, but you're asking if there's life, um, on other planets. Yeah. Do you, that, yeah. Do you think about that a lot? Yeah. Is it something that you, I mean, clearly yeah, from I mean, your work. I, I I have no doubt that there is there's other stuff out there that um, is living and uh, exactly what that means you know what is life and uh, how is it different from us um, I don't know but um, if you think of basically we now think that every single star or most stars have um, solar systems around them. And, and if there's hundreds of billions of stars and hundreds of billions of galaxies, um, and, and it turns out that a lot of them have ice, which means that there's water, um, which anywhere on earth that there's water, there's life. And so, um, to me, it just seems like, yes, there's gotta be a lot of life out there, whether or not we'll ever communicate with, with it, who knows if we'll ever actually find it, 
Uh, who knows? But um, it's hard for me to imagine that there's not. And are you thinking about art projects for this life on other planets? <laughs> um, yeah, actually, you know, um, uh, I remember talking to someone who uh, works with antennas and he had the, they, they put the antenna in this thing called a, a space simulator, as, as one would, uh, where they <laughs> simulate the, the atmosphere of another planet. And he was sort of upset because his antenna started to glow and he didn't want that to happen. And I was like, wow, that sounds really fascinating. Like, can we make a, a glowing, you know, a sculpture that's meant to glow on another planet? <laughs> it's like, let's send that to Mars. Yeah, seriously. You know? That sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> did, did he end up pursuing that in any way? Uh, I, you know, I, I, it was probably over lunch and we, I lost track of them, but it's still, it's lodged in my mind. So I, that's something I want, want to do. All right. Well, I can't wait to see how that comes to fruition at some point. Yeah. <laughs> also, you sound like an interesting person to go eat lunch with if that is <laughs> your lunch thought. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I could t- keep talking to you for you know another couple hours, but um, we'll put up some information about your work online and how do people find you just in general? Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, there's, I'm, I'm not, well, I use more uh, Instagram than any of the other ones. Uh, my website also has a, you know, a contact me thing and, and I actually read it. So Okay, great. So we'll link to that in the description of this <laughs> yeah. Uh, show. Yeah. But thanks, Dan. We'll talk to you again soon, hopefully. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of State of the Art. I'm Gabe BC. You can follow me at Gabe BC on pretty much everything. State of the Art is an at art production created by Ethan Appleby. Weston Stevens is our audio engineer extraordinaire. And Vanessa Wilson is our producer who is going to find next week's guest. Uh, so, you know, you can blame her if you don't like it. Uh, just a reminder, I'm doing a talk at the Wix Playground on February 24th if you happen to be in New York. Uh, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a good week. <laughs>